sharing them with us. We're going to look this morning at the scripture in the book of John, and we're going to look at John chapter 6 and verse 27. The title of the message is The Work of God, The Work of God. And of course, we're going to be sharing communion at the close of service. So if you're able, stand with me for the reading of the word. Jesus said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Lord, we come to you this morning acknowledging that you are the source of all wisdom, of knowledge, of comprehension. And I pray, dear Lord, you'll help us this morning as we look at these ancient words, these words that were spoken that are living words. We pray, dear Lord, that they will live within our hearts, within our lives. Help us to be the people you want us to be. And Lord, to glorify you in our lives. We pray, dear Lord, the Holy Spirit will continue to be present with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Many of you know the background of this, these comments that were made, and I, I kept my reading very brief because uh, I didn't want to get uh, distracted to other portions of the scripture that precede this. Uh, certainly, beautiful, beautiful episode that took place in the life of Jesus and the miracle, miracles that he wrought uh, to prove that he is who he says he is. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 as it is commonly referred to, it probably was more like 20,000 because it, they did not count the women and children. So there were 5,000 men. So there were there were a great many more than 5,000, it is believed. And then uh, the story of how Jesus uh, slipped away from them because they were thinking he is, he is the one that we want to be our king. Uh, Jesus went up into a mountain to pray, sent the disciples away in a boat after he had multiplied the the loaves and fishes. And then the scripture says uh, that when it was dark, he came down and walked across the sea. Uh, they did not know how Jesus got to the location 
further down, further south, around Capernaum, uh, because he had come down in stealth and got away from them. But they went looking for him. The crowd went looking for him when they, they thought, well, he didn't get in the boat with his disciples, so he's still here. He's here somewhere. We're going to wait because we'll see him again. But then I guess it dawned on them very slowly <laughs> that he's not here. Uh, we're going to have to go and find where the disciples went. We'll go to where he did much of his speaking and uh, spend a good bit of time around Capernaum and see if we can find him there. And the scripture says that uh, they went and when they found him, they asked him the question, uh, how, how, when did you come here? Uh, verse 25 is the question. Uh, when they found him on the other side, they said, Rabbi, when comest thou hither? Uh, how did you get here? Uh, Jesus didn't tell them, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> but that's what it amounted to, wasn't it? Because he walked on the water and uh, joined his disciples. Uh, so uh, we have this exchange and it takes place as they are there with Jesus. Uh, Jesus... Jesus knew their motives. I didn't read verse 26 for you, but uh, Jesus told them that they came because they wanted the bread. Uh, you think about it, uh, it probably doesn't mean a whole lot to us today because, uh, you know, most of us have plenty of food. It's, we want better food, don't we? It's not just food, we want, we want better food. Uh, we, want, we want food that tastes really good. That's the big deal. Uh, food that tastes really good. And so uh, when we look at these, these people, now a lot of times when we're reading stories about Jesus, we're seeing the scribes and Pharisees and, and uh, the the attempts they made to confuse and to trap Jesus. But here, these are just people that he spoke to. And after the, after the sermon, when they were hungry, uh, they, had, they had dinner on the ground, didn't they? Dinner on the grounds. And they had all they wanted. Now, you think about poor people back in this day, 2,000 years ago, this group of people, Many of them maybe couldn't eat enough until they were full. Uh, most of us have to kind of push ourselves away from the table, don't we? Because uh, we get too much. But maybe these people had not really, many of them had not really had a chance to eat all they wanted. Uh, the Bible says that they ate all they wanted, and then they took up baskets full of leftovers. Uh, and 
what a, what a wonderful thing that Jesus supplied an abundance for them when he fed them. But somehow, when he did this miracle, some of them, well, the majority of them, maybe all of them, they saw what Jesus did in multiplying the loaves and fishes, but they didn't capture the significance of it. Uh, well, we see then their conversation later on in this chapter about, well, Moses fed our ancestors in the wilderness. Uh, so as, as they saw this, uh, they did not look at something that was very obvious. And that was, there were only five barley loaves, little loaves, and two small fish. They were a little boy's lunch, weren't they? And Jesus took a little boy's lunch and fed this multitude. Now, now how did that happen? One commentator said that this was actually a miracle of creation. It was a miracle of creation that as the need was there, Jesus actually saw that the loaves and the fishes, when they were multiplied, it was actually a work of creating, that he created more than what there was. He had created an abundance. Well, we all like to get our stomachs filled, don't we? Um, we... we we try to do that on a regular basis in this country. Um, I was uh, with Sister Doris and some others at uh, Dear Dutchman, and there was a, a singing group there, and we had we had eaten, and they did they did a, a number that really uh, humored me. I think is the right word uh, because. Uh, they said they were going to do some bluegrass, a bluegrass song. And uh, the leader of the group said, we don't, we don't do much bluegrass. We don't like it. Uh, he said, but we're going, to, we're going to do this one. One of our group uh, does the lead on this. And actually, we don't like it either. <laughs> they, they, uh, the group knew what the song was. I had no idea. I don't think I'd ever heard the song before. Uh, and I can't tell you what all the words were to it, but it was, uh, Center man, you better wave the white flag of surrender. <laughs> and, and, and these people that had already eaten now, and uh, they knew the song, uh, they took their white napkins off, off the table, their paper napkins, there, there was 75 of them, I expect, at least, waving their, their white napkins as they're singing, Center man, you better wave the white flag of surrender and, uh, and doing some goofy head motions. Uh, the, the man uh, that did the song was quite, was quite humorous, so I got a, I got a laugh out of that. But uh, it was, it was, there was plenty of food and people 
people were very well satisfied. Well, think about here with Jesus out here in a desert place, uh, way up north on the Sea of Galilee, and they have all they want, all that they're, they're filled. Jesus satisfies their need. But they did not recognize the magnitude of the fact that Jesus was more than a man, that he's the son of God, and he did a miracle of creation before their very eyes. So they, they come down to where he is, and Jesus knew their motives. Kind of scary when you think about it, isn't it? Jesus knows our motives. He knows what we're about. He knows what we intend. Sometimes people we're dealing with, it comes out better than what our motives are. And we kind of ride the, the wave a little bit and let them take, think the best of us. But Jesus knows what our motives are and what we're about. And he knows our inner feelings. He knows, he knows those emotions that are not pleasing to him. He knows, he knows those aggravations that Satan brings into our lives that cause disruptions, that cause things that are not pleasing to the Lord. So he knew, he knew their motives. Uh, they didn't come because they truly witnessed the power of God. They came because it was time for another meal. They wanted, they wanted bread, some more bread and some more fish. Um, the, the Bible says that when they came to Jesus, uh, that they, they said, we don't, didn't know when you came here. Um, they were focused on material things. And we have to watch that we do not get distracted from spiritual things and focus on material things. Uh, they, they, the material things... Uh, we are told uh, to work or strive for eternal things. Now that, that can seem to be contradictory because Jesus says uh, in verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth. What is the meat that perishes? Well, it's worldly wealth, None of us are going to take that with us. It's worldly wealth. It's worldly fame. Uh, it is the pleasures of life that uh, you can pursue the, the pleasures of life. And we live in a society, we live in a day where many are almost drunken on the pleasures of life. Uh, we can, we can pursue those things, but they are not going to last. They are not going to, they are not going to endure. And 
we can try to hold on to them, but we have to let go of those things because they're not lasting. So he says, labor not, or don't work for the meat which perisheth. But then he says, but for that meat which endureth to everlasting life. So we are to work for the meat that endureth unto everlasting life. So does that mean that we earn our salvation? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, direct your attention to eternal things. Uh, they actually said, say to him, uh, you tell us, in verse 28 they said, uh, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? You tell us, you tell us what we're supposed to do to work the works of God. Now, that, that was a request that had Jesus told them specifically things to do. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, I've, I've kept the commandments from my youth, uh, so what do I lack? I'm ready. And let's face it, if the, the rich young ruler came into many of our churches today, he says, I've kept the commandments, uh, I've lived a moral life, many, many churches would be ready to embrace him and say, Come on in and join the fellowship. You're part of us. But Jesus went deeper, didn't he? He said, I want you to take your riches and give them to the poor and take up your cross and follow me. Now this man that said that he kept all the commandments, he didn't, in other words, God is number one. God is number one. First commandment, that we are to hold God in solemn awe and reverence. Have no other gods before him. But when Jesus said, give your riches to the poor, there was a problem, wasn't there? Because he wanted to hold on to his riches. And the scripture says that he went away sorrowful because he had great wealth. Jesus had put his finger on the problem immediately because here was an idol. Here was something that was more important to him than doing God's will, and that was hanging on to his wealth. The Lord knows as he looks at our hearts where our love is and what we want. So the rich young ruler says, I've done, I've, I've kept all the commandments. These people that come to Jesus said, tell us what are the works of God so we can do them. But all of us here this morning, because these stories in the scriptures teach us, we cannot please God by any works that we do, can we? This rich young ruler could say, I've, I've kept all the commandments. But even when he said that, perhaps unintentionally, he was lying. 
because Jesus put his finger on one and the man went away. A broken man because he did not want to give up that thing that looms so large in his life. And so, whatever we would do, if, if, if we were to have perfect attendance at church, um, you know the old, the old joke uh, I, uh, that somebody had a drug problem because they were drugged to church all the time, <laughs> you know. Uh, I was I was taken a lot of times to church, even as a kid. Uh, I, uh, your mom uh, tells me that uh, when they didn't feel good, Danny, when they would say, "Well, Dad, uh, we we don't feel like Thelma would say we we don't we we don't feel like going. Uh, we don't feel so good," and uh, they would get a hold of her and say, "Well, come on, because you'll feel better after you get there." And, and so away they'd go. I've been in that situation. Uh, try, to, try to hang back, try to drag down. Uh, you know, you drag things out, uh, make everything more difficult, uh, hope that things don't work the way they're supposed to so it gets so late that, oh, you know, it's too late to go now. Uh, we can't go because time, it's going to be too late when we walk in. So uh, just kind of drag your feet, drag it down. Uh, but, uh, you know, come on, because you're going to feel better when you get there, and hurry it up because we're going. Um, I remember my uh, uncle had, had so much. Do you remember when we used to get those perfect attendance things? Uh, my uncle had had perfect attendance because you would get you would get the first year of perfect attendance in church, Sunday school, it was actually Sunday school. And then you got a thing that fit around that. And then and then as I recall there were little hangers that you hung others on. I see some of you nodding your head, you remember. But you don't see them anymore today, do you? Uh, and I don't know if I still got mine in the, in the little box of collectibles that I keep. Uh, but my uncle that lived in Obetz and went to the uh, Delray Road at that time, Church of Christ in Christiana, he had those things. I'm not exaggerating. They would come down to his waist uh, where he never, missed, he never missed a Sunday and always adding on, adding on. Uh, quite a quite a show of faithfulness but all of that will not count for any salvation will it all of that I mean that helps us to say yes we've been faithful and yes we've learned a lot we hope we've learned a lot as we've been in all these services but there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation and Jesus straightens that out as you look at this uh, because uh, he says to them uh, in verse 27, uh, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. In other words, strive, strive for that which is enduring and lasting. 
And here's the, here's the phrase I want you to catch. Which the Son of Man shall give unto you. See, you can't, you can't get it by working for it. You need to head in the direction of it. You need to aim for it to do the best you can. But all of our works are inadequate, insufficient. They can't get us there. So Jesus says that the Son of Man is going to give this to you. This is going to be a gift. So it's not something you can say, I earned. It's mine. I have it coming. He is going to give it to you. And so in the, in the verses following, he begins to explain to them uh, that he is the bread. He is the satisfying portion. Uh, so the Son of Man shall give this unto you. He goes on to say, For him hath God the Father sealed. So God, what does that mean that God the Father has sealed him? I liked, uh, I liked what uh, was said in the Nelson Study Bible on, on that. The Father has sealed him. The Father has put his seal of approval on him. The Father has authorized the Son. The Father has authorized the Son. So Jesus has the seal or has the insignia or the stamp of God's approval that he has authorized. He is he has the authority, in other words, uh, from God the Father. And so he can give what man needs. He can give salvation to mankind. And he did that when he died on the cross. And he talks later on in this chapter about those who came across the wilderness and ate the bread that came down from heaven. And he said, I am the bread. I am the bread that comes down from heaven. So he is the source of our strength. He is the source of our ability to receive from God. So he has the authority of the seal means he has been authenticated. Does that mean anything different? He has been authenticated. When Jesus did miracles, as I have said before, they authenticated him, didn't they? That he is who he said he is. And he did what he did because of who he is. So he could walk on the water. He could multiply the bread because he is God. And that authenticated him. Not only did he have authority, but he had the credentials to prove that he is who he said he is. And so when we see him stand outside the tomb of Lazarus, when the sisters are saying, don't take the stone away because he's already in a state, Lazarus is already in a state of decomposition. 
uh, it's, it's not going to be good when we take the stone away and, and uh, the odors are able to come out of that tomb. Uh, Jesus knew, didn't he? He knew what he was going to do. And he prayed a short prayer and said, I'm just praying so that they'll know that I'm doing this by your authority and your power. So then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, walked out of the tomb. That was a serious problem for the Pharisees, folks, because here was a man that everybody knew was dead, had been dead for four days. He wasn't just in some kind of a coma. He was dead. And here he comes when they move the stone away. He walks out. And now the Pharisees not only have the problem of Jesus, but they have the problem of Lazarus. And if you read your scriptures, you'll know that they wanted to kill Lazarus too because many of the Jews believed on Jesus because of Lazarus. That was kind of stupid, wasn't it? Jesus raised Lazarus back to life, and then, then they said, let's kill, let's kill Lazarus. Uh, God had the control. God had the power, didn't he? Uh, and if God raised Lazarus, God could, God could preserve Lazarus, too, from their threats. So the seal means that Jesus has, been, has the authority, and he also has been authenticated uh, he, he has the credentials as the giver of life. And so, uh, what, is, what is the work of God? What is the work of God? The work of God is to believe on Jesus because he's who he said he is and because he does what he says he can do and because he can keep on doing what he has done and what he's promised to do and because he's in control when we come down to the end of life it's good to know that his power is still the same it's still the same today as it was when he calls Lazarus out of the grave what did he say to the sister I am the resurrection and the life he still is the resurrection and the life today folks he still is the one who has the authority. He is the one who has the credentials. He is the one who has the power. But we cannot do any of this on our own. The Bible tells us that this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. And so when we talk about the work of God, I mean, we need to, we cannot work our own salvation. We cannot earn our salvation, can we? But people that do not intentionally make an effort to pay attention to the things of God, how, how, how do they expect to learn? How do they expect to know? The Bible tells us that we are to teach all nations, that we are to teach about Jesus. But we have a lot of people today that are very ignorant about the scriptures, about the things in the word of God. And if 
if we do not have intention to listen to God, to pay attention to Him, uh, it can be very dark. It can be very, it can be very discouraging. But aren't you glad if we begin to look to Him, that He has the answers. He can He can touch our needs. He can bring us into a place of fellowship with Himself. No, we cannot save ourselves, but we better pay attention. We better pay attention to what He's saying and to what His Word says. We better follow Him. And we should practice godly habits, shouldn't we? We can't, they will not save us, but we ought to practice godly habits. Godly habits, of course, I don't need to enumerate this morning. But to have, to have Christ in our mind, in our hearts, in our thoughts, to follow him and to ask for his will to be done in our lives. So that is what we do this morning when we come to communion service. We come to a time Jesus said to these people later on in this chapter that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, this is verses 53 and 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So Jesus was teaching here even early on that he was going to give his life and we would have to accept his vicarious sacrifice. Not because we're literally eating his flesh or drinking his blood, but because we're trusting his sacrifice. We're trusting the provision he has given for our redemption. So he is the bread which came down from heaven. He says, not as your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. If we're a partaker of Christ, then we receive his eternal life, don't we? And it's by faith, it's by belief in him. So I trust that I trust that you are there this morning, that you're trusting him for your salvation and realizing he is the only source that we have of eternal life. I'm going to ask you to uh, bow your heads for a moment.